This is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're discussing the results of the 2012 Healthcare Information Security Today survey with Dan Berger, CEO of Redspin. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thanks for having me, Howard. Now, the survey shows that about one-third of healthcare organizations have not conducted a risk assessment within the past year, even though federal authorities advise annual updates. So why is it so important to conduct an assessment annually? What do you think? Well, if I had to answer that in one sentence, Howard, I would say just keep pace with change. Um, there's really never been a more dynamic period, time period in terms of healthcare IT than right now. And providers of all types are in the midst of a massive transformation from paper-based systems to electronic health records. Legacy systems are being replaced, new applications are being deployed, including some web-based applications or even software-as-a-service type applications. There's, of course, the proliferation of new devices, more laptops in use, iPads, tablets, smartphones. And, uh, you know, the backdrop is that uh, when you've got that much change, change itself always introduces new risks. So we think it's more important than ever to conduct a security risk assessment um, if you haven't done so, to, to do one in short order and then continue to do them on a, on, a, on a fairly frequent basis. One of the things that for those who have yet to do one in the, in the past several years, a reason or rationale that I often hear is that we're just about to deploy, you know, XYZ new application or we're just about to do an upgrade to our EHR system and then we're going to do the, the risk assessment. And uh, the fallacy in that is that things are always changing. You know, there's always that one more thing you're going to be doing next. And so all that time that you spend, you know, in kind of anticipation of the new, of getting it all in order and ready to be assessed is really a time, time frame in which you're running a great deal of risk. So are there emerging risks that some organizations might be overlooking in their risk assessments? I'm going to get a little technical here for a minute because that, this is where we see more risk than, than I think gets uh, a lot of attention in the media. We don't think that healthcare organizations scan their networks frequently enough. Now, now part of that is a resource issue and, and a, a technical expertise issue because e- even when they do, they, they tend to lack the resources to analyze the results and then prioritize remediation activities according to risk. So not only do we strongly recommend that this kind of work is outsourced to expert companies, whether it's Redspin or others, we think it's going to become even more important over time as incidents of hacker attacks increase. We can even see the need for uh, kind of frequent or what's starting to starting to catch on a bit in, terms of in, in the industry as kind of continuous vulnerability assessment and remediation where you know, the scans are pretty much run on a, whether it's quarterly, monthly, semi-annually, but they're run at regular intervals, and the results of those are then looked at, changes are made where they can be made, they're compared to past scans, and you're also able to detect new threats. So we think that that process is somewhat overlooked right now. It's not so much that they're emerging risks that they're overlooking, it's just a, without doing a very good job of continuous vulnerability management, you are susceptible to new risks that may uh, arise from, from hacker groups. One of the biggest perceived security threats the survey shows is the growing use of mobile devices. And the majority of the organizations we surveyed say they allow clinicians to use personal mobile devices for work-related purposes. So what are the key mobile device security issues that need to be addressed? What do you think? Well, this is such an important new area. Um, and I have to tell you, we've heard everything from organizations that have a policy that says 
thou shalt not connect mobile devices to our network to, yes, we allow our employees to connect and we don't yet have a policy. Uh, ultimately, we don't think either of those approaches is workable long term. Another thing we hear very frequently is that, uh, well, we're, we, we have mobile device attached to the network and everything's going to be fine once we install our, our mobile device monitoring system. But again, today's MDM solutions are imperfect at best, but they're also very costly and costly not just in dollars and cents, but also the implementation um, and monitoring resources you need to dedicate to them for them to be effective. So, you know, you get a situation where we have the, the risk is today, the risk is, is, is now, and saying that we're going to have a solution based on an MDM product in uh, next year um, just won't cut it for protecting yourself from the risk today. So the way, the way we advise our clients to look at mobile security is we consider it three very related issues. It's an issue of policy, uh, it's an issue of controls, and it's an issue of security awareness. And we think these three things actually are almost interlocking in their, in their relevance to creating an environment where mobile devices can be used securely in the workplace. Certainly there's some policies that need to be dictated from kind of on an autocratic basis or from the top down. Policies like which platforms the organization is prepared to support, what technologies are required such as encryption, remote wiping, sandboxing, what are required if you're going to use these in the workplace. But aside from those types of top-down edicts, we find that organizations will gain much more policy compliance if they're actually involving their employees in policy setting and even in some cases policing. So part of that means that unlike a lot of other type of security policies where they're kind of set by IT or set by a compliance group and employees are told to live with it, uh, and not only live with it but abide by it, in the mobile case, you know, particularly as you move into people who are bringing their own devices to work where they feel a certain sense of ownership over the device and don't, don't want to be told what to do or what they can and can't do with that device, it's very important to have a much more open dialogue between employees and the various compliance departments and IT into what's a workable policy. It, it's helpful to both the employee and the organization for people to be able to use their own devices and to be able to use mobile devices, it's, it, there's cost savings in some case, there's efficiency, there's ease of use. Uh, people love to be able to do it uh, from an employee standpoint. And so there's benefits in both directions. And so it does require an approach that takes both sides into account to kind of jointly formulate what the policy should be. Briefly, Dan, what are some of the best security precautions to take when accommodating the bring-your-own-device trend in particular? Well, we'd like to say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. In our, in our case, we think an ounce of education is worth a pound of enforcement. Um, once there is a, a BYOD policy established and you've made it clear what is and what is not allowed, um, I think you've got to be ever-present on people's minds. I think there should be internal training seminars on this topic on a fairly regular and consistent basis, whether you do that through some sort of web training uh, posters, uh, workshops, training seminars, even simple things. Um, we find that, you know, when the average worker is bringing their iPhone to work and wants to use it for work purposes, 
Oftentimes, even some of the built-in security controls on, on the individual phones aren't set, and really that's more of a, a matter of people aren't actually even aware they, they, how, how, how they can be set or that they are there to be set. So once you've kind of made it clear that this is our policy, this is what's supported, uh, this is what is and what isn't allowed, I think then the approach from, um, from IT is, okay, now how do, how do we help you secure your phones? How, how do we, you know, how do we, how, what can we do from a training perspective, uh, from educational perspective, support perspective to make sure that, the, that your use is, is, is secure, protecting both you and, and the organization? Speaking of training, ramping up training and privacy and security issues is the number one step organizations plan to take to help prevent health data breaches. At least that's what our survey showed. So what are some of the other key topics that such training should address, and what are the most effective ways to offer the training, do you think? I was delighted to see that ramping up training on privacy and security made number one this year. It is the single most important thing a health court organization can do to prevent data breaches. If you look at any of those detailed statistics over the past three and a half years, you'll find that at the heart of almost probably two-thirds of the breaches is some sort of human error um, or, or human oversight, talking about devices that are stolen or lost things that people have just neglected to do that are, are fairly obvious in terms of security. So what we find in health organizations is almost all of them have kind of HIPAA training uh, as a general generic training course upon uh, when employees first day to hire, they usually, they usually go through HIPAA training as part of their new hire orientation. It's typically refreshed maybe every year. But I would I'd call that HIPAA training light. It's not detailed enough in terms of security, particularly IT security, you know, in this in, in 2013. We'd like to see kind of dedicated IT security training courses to raise the awareness that security extends to uh, mobile devices, security extends to email, security extends to not clicking on a uh, phishing attempt email or a suspicious email at work. Security extends to not posting something that could be personally identifiable information or even worse, protected health information on your Facebook page, even if you thought that it was for a good purpose. So there's a lot of education to be done that will ultimately um, pay off big time in terms of return on investment as compared to getting into a, an OCR resolution agreement and, and possibly incurring breach penalties. As far as the most effective ways of tra- offer, offering training, I think you've got to, you've kind of got to, kind of taken all of the above category. It's, we think that training is most effective uh, when it's offered in context, and there's lots of clever uh, mechanisms for doing that today. There's, there's of course web-based training, again that's more of a curriculum base, but there's also reminders that can be set set up, screensavers that can reinforce certain messages. Um, even good old um, offline stuff like uh, posters in the hallway. Um, I think it's just going to be it has to be a constant reminder that security is really, really job one uh, when it comes to protecting uh, uh, PHI. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Dan Berger of Redspin. This is Howard Anderson of Information and Security Media Group. Thanks so much for listening.